Good morning, everyone. Good morning, New Life family. How's hey, everybody morning. doing today? Praise God. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, well, it uh, brings me great pleasure once again to welcome everybody to another Sunday service here at New Life. My name is Eric, and this is my wonderful wife, Diane. Good morning, everyone. If you're new here, thank you for coming welcome. and worshiping God this morning at New Life Church. Yes. Um, after the service, if you're new, please go to one of the Connection Central tables. There's a couple in the lobby, and then there are a couple outside. We have a gift for you that we'd love to give to you, um, and just get some information and hopefully keep in touch. Yeah, because um, we really want to get to know them, right? Yes, yes. We want to know what you want in a church and how you can be... Um, uh, plugged in here, okay? Yes. So you all have a gift, and we want to see that gift here at the church. Um, for everyone else, if you're not new, there's a ton of great classes and different opportunities for you to get plugged in as well, um, and so check out your bulletin, okay? Yes, and uh, I'm pretty excited today to hear uh, Pastor David continue on a series of From Stone to Flesh, right? So Psalms 119.18 says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, and it's pretty much what I scream out to God every day, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. I need to see you, Lord. Amen. So as if you're able, please uh, stand and if you're able and uh, prepare our hearts for worship. Oh, God. 
The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. An almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. An almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. So um, they say that the longest journey you'll ever take is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. And I know that's been my experience so much and it feels like that's the same way in our spiritual lives. And what we've been talking about in this men's Bible study that we uh, launched on Thursday nights, shameless plug, one of the things we've been talking about, one of our goals is that we wanna move from tradition to conviction. We don't wanna just have a head knowledge of who God is. We wanna have a heart knowledge. We wanna actually experience the living God. Because what we need is we need a spirit of conviction in a culture of compromise. And that can only be developed through experiences with the Lord that reinforces our faith. You know, it says in the Bible that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. And it also says, if you seek Him, what's gonna happen that you will find Him? when you search for him with your whole heart. And so we can trust that as we seek and as we move from our head to our heart, that we will find God when we seek him. Second Corinthians says this, Jesus Christ, the son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He's the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And so God will accomplish what he started in your life. And so let's press in and have experiences with Jesus. Pray during this song that he would reveal himself in new and fresh ways as we encounter the living God together through worship, amen?
keep giving, keep providing. Jesus, this morning we just submit ourselves again to the working of your spirit, like we do every day and, and every Sunday as we, we move from the scattered community to the gathered. And There's something powerful when the people of God come together and, and lift up your name. There's something that changes in a room that can affect our hearts. And so, Jesus, this morning we don't wanna just learn more about you, we wanna fall more in love with you. We wanna experience the power of a living God in and amongst his people. So Jesus, have your way and do whatever you want this morning. We need you. We cannot do it on our own. We've tried so many of us and failed. And so, Holy Spirit, we just give ourselves to you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. You know, I love that, that song for a lot of reasons, but... Maybe you didn't know that the imagery of that song comes from the Old Testament when the people of God were wandering in the wilderness. They had been saved from slavery, but they were just wandering, and they had no idea. Well, God had told them, but they weren't really listening. But they had no, they, they were living in very uncertain times, and God provided everything that they needed. It may not have been everything that they wanted, but everything that they needed as they wandered through the desert. And if you were here with us last week, you heard uh, Pastor David share some 
kind of challenging um, news about um, kind of the season that we have found ourselves in here at New Life, um, feeling a little bit in, in kind of like a similar season to that where we're having to rely on God's provision and trust in him. And as we just saying, it is so sweet to trust. Sweet to trust in microphones and Jesus. Um, <laughs> so if you were here with us last week, you heard a little bit of this challenging news of where, where we kind of find ourselves financially here at New Life and how you can sort of be a part of it as well. And it really is this season of, of being able to look around and be able to see, you know, there is honey in the rock and there is manna all around and how much God has provided for us already. And um, I'd like to invite the ushers forward this morning and you know, if you were here last week um, and you heard about this, that there's, David shared with us that there is a 15% of uh, people who are attending New Life who are funding or participating in 98% of the ministry here and how much we would love for that, not just for our own sake, but for your sake to double that number. And as I was thinking about it this week and praying about it, you know, I was thinking about how much amazing ministry is already happening, how much we are able to feed our community, how our student ministry is bursting at the seams on Wednesday night, how much revival and people's lives are being changed, and that's with us the 15%. And so even though that, that was a little bit shocking to hear, like, I made me kind of excited to think about, like, if God is doing so much with what we have, what we've offered him right now, what could he do if we doubled that number? What would our schools look like? What would our families look like? What would the Central Coast look like if we even sacrificed and we gave more of, of if more people participated in the work that God is doing? And so it made me excited to think about where God could move and how much he could do. Um, so as the baskets get passed, I would just ask for you to just pray that God would multiply it for his glory because he is doing so many amazing things and so much ministry is happening here. So would you just pray as it goes by that it, God would just multiply it for his glory, like the loaves and the fish that we learned about and like the manna on the ground and God, because God is our provider and we are in a season of learning about that as a church and as, as, as individuals as well. And, you know, what a great time to also talk about it, too, because we are entering into the season of Lent in a couple of weeks. And if you're unfamiliar with the season of Lent, um, it is truly just a time of, to refocus the rhythms of our life, to strip away the things that maybe have taken first place in our heart, um, the things that maybe have been distractions um, in our life that maybe aren't helping us to live fully alive in Jesus, and what a great opportunity in the season of Lent to start trusting God in different areas. And maybe this area is a one of them as well with our finances, because that sometimes can be a struggle, you know. And so we always, as at New Life and the church around the world, um, have a tradition of starting the season of Lent with Ash Wednesday. And it is February 22nd, and we will have our Ash Wednesday service here. I hope that you'll come and be a part of it as we kick off the season of Lent. And we just enter in a, into a season of um, repentance, a season of um, acknowledging our deep need for Jesus in our life, because it's true, we need him so much. And so we would love for you to start and start, even start praying about it now. Start praying about how God might want to move in your life in the season of Lent. Because I know in those times when we intentionally strip away the things that are distracting us is the times that we can hear God's voice a little bit louder. So that's what the season of Lent is about. And I look forward to seeing the way that God is going to move in and through new life during that. We're going to be focusing in on prayer for that season. So already be praying for it because I think God's going to move. 
And so if you were here with us last week, you know we started a brand new series called Stone to Flesh, and we are encouraging each one of you to try and memorize this verse in Ezekiel 36, 26, and we have this video to kind of help you do that. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Well, good morning, New Life. So good to gather, to move from the scattered community to the gathered community. And uh, man, so many different uh, for myself and I imagine for you guys as well. Uh, depending on what's happened in your week, depending on what different uh, stories you've been following around our nation and around our world, uh, there's just like a mixture of emotions. And, and so this morning before we dive into God's word and his text, I wanted to pray as the people of God uh, for all of those affected in Turkey and Syria by the incredible devastation from the earthquake that was done there. And, uh, you know, as, as we pray, we want to pray for God's care, for his strengthening, for his healing. The, Lord, the scripture says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. But I also want to pray, um, what a unique time in history for the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this particular moment. That the, those maybe that have experienced persecution in these countries could now truly be the hands and feet of Jesus of care and compassion and humanitarian effort that happens in there. So as we go to the Lord, I would just pray that we would pray both for those who are impacted by um, the earthquake, but also those who are going to be a part of the healing process, uh, at, you know, kind of post-earthquake. And so let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you, God. We lift up those who find themselves devastated this morning, those parents who have lost children and children who have lost parents, those who have lost all their earthly things. God, I can't imagine the various emotions and heartbreak and cries that are going on this morning. But God, I'm trusting in your word that says that you are close to the brokenhearted. So God, may you send your spirit forth and may you cover those individuals with your care. May they sense the peace that surpasses all understanding. Might you, in a miraculous and supernatural way, allow them to experience a tangible, your tangible presence in this particular moment. And God, in that, I pray that that somehow in the midst of the destruction that has happened, that God, you would bring about your good and your glory in this situation. I pray, God, for the church, a church that so often has to meet in secret or behind closed doors, that God, in this moment, that they would be your hands and your feet, that people would be, um, uh, that they would just be shocked that those who have been persecuted are the same ones who are providing care and love and compassion. May your hands and your feet be felt throughout those countries. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. And I just ask that you'd keep um, that area of the world in your prayer, man. I just am and sensing that the Lord wants to do something significant uh, in both of those countries. And that, um, yeah, just, just I would ask that you would keep those countries in, in prayer. If you have 
in your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. We're, we're using uh, this particular passage as kind of our anchor passage. We're unpacking uh, kind of like a prism. We're taking it and we're turning it and we're looking at various things that God can teach us through this short passage, um, not only beginning last week, but this week. And then we'll um, also be spending time in this text next week. And as I was studying for this passage, I was reminded um, of how easy it is to have your heart um, become a heart of stone, like how much we um, don't even realize what's taken place. And, and I did some, some looking, and I'm not a scientist, so if I, if I mess some of this up, I apologize. Um, but here's what I learned, that there are things that are organic material that actually um, can transform from that living, growing organic material or even as um, from organic material to stone. It happens uh, in what many of you have seen uh, as petrified wood. Uh, petrified wood, it's interesting. It, in the right environment where water is passing over wood, all of a sudden that wood um, begins to collect the various sediments that, uh, uh, that are in the water, very minerals that are in the water. And all of a sudden the silt in the water and the quartz in the water and the various minerals in the water begin to replace the organic material of that piece of wood with stone. So much so that the entirety of that, that once living thing becomes petrified or stone and what's so unique about it is is it actually still looks or has some of the physical um, observational characteristics of the original wood so the bark still looks kind of like bark and the rings still look kind of like rings but it is no longer organic material it's no longer fleshly material to use the language from Ezekiel but it is petrified wood it truly is stone and so when we read about that, I begin to think about how often we place ourselves in environments and we don't consider um, our own hearts in such a way that slowly over time, granted, uh, you might say that, hey, you know, there, my, my heart was tender towards the things of God and then this happened in my life and now it became completely hardened towards the things of God. That does happen, but what I find happens more often, both in believers and unbelievers, is that it's a slow fade. That it's placed within the right environment. It's, it's not giving attention to the heart that all of a sudden petrifies the heart or creates a heart of stone. And so in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, we read these words. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I want you to turn to somebody next to you or near you and say, you have a heart of stone. That hurts, right? Like, you don't want to say that to one another. You don't want to say that about you. But here's what I think you need to notice in this particular text. It says, uh, I will remove from you. It doesn't say God's heart of stone. It doesn't say somebody else's heart of stone. There's some ownership that needs to happen when it comes to dealing with our heart of stone. It says your heart of stone, meaning my heart of stone. So in order to deal with the heart of stone, we have to own our part. Let me say that again. In order to deal with our heart of stone, we have to own your or my part. And so often we want to push 
are the reason we have a heart of stone based off on something else. It was the environment that I it grew up in. It was this person's fault. It was that person's fault. It was this particular thing that happened in my life without taking ownership ourselves. See, we learned last week that this idea of the a new heart will be placed in you, a new spirit will be placed in you, that God wants to place something new in you. And when he does that, we begin to walk in step with his spirit. We begin to allow our heart and our lives to beat to the rhythm of the spirit. But when you have a heart of stone, if you read throughout scripture, one of the identifying characteristics of a heart of stone is a lack of understanding of what God is doing. And usually a lack of understanding of what God is doing comes from a lack of trust. Because you can maybe not fully understand what God is doing, but you can still trust him. And that will lead you eventually to greater understanding. But so often we have a lack of, underst- a lack of understanding of what God is doing because we lack to trust God. Here's where we see this happening. It happens really early on in the story of God in the book of Genesis. It happens in chapter three. God has created this beautiful place for people to live in relationship with him and in relationship with one another. And he has designed this beautiful covenant relationship to be life-giving to us. He said you can have, you, he gives people dominion over creation and stewardship over creation and he simply says this you can participate and you can touch anything and you can eat of anything in the garden except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil don't eat from that tree what he's saying is will you trust me with an understanding of what good and evil is now we learn later on in the book of judges that when people don't trust God with what good what Um, good and evil is, everybody does what is right in their own eyes and sin and debauchery take over and brokenness and evil happen. And so in the beginning of this story, all of a sudden you've got Adam and Eve who, uh, who take of this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and in the taking of that fruit, they are saying, you know what? I don't trust you, God, because I don't understand why you wouldn't let me do this. So what they're saying is, my understanding is greater than God's understanding. I deserve to have greater understanding than what God has. Maybe it's why one of the very first Bible memory passages I learned when I, when I gave my life to Christ, and even growing up early in the church, I remember in our Wednesday Bible studies, learning Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge him and he will direct my past. It is the surrender mindset and attitude that says, God, I lack understanding unless you give me understanding. And so I'm gonna choose to trust in your understanding over and above my own. That is so countercultural, right? Because we assume within our current culture and our society with the knowledge that we have and the degrees that we have and the education we have and the technology we have and all of that, that we should have a level of understanding that actually, for some of us, we don't even realize we think that understanding is greater than God's. We're like, God, don't you, let me fill you in about how things work, God, in 2023. Let me fill you in about how things operate in 2023. I think you're a little bit behind the times, God. And God is saying, no, will you trust in me? Will you trust in me and allow me to shape your understanding of what this life is all about? 
And when we don't trust in him, and when we don't trust in the understanding that he wants to bring into our lives, all of a sudden, it, our, our affections begin to be shaped by one of two things. Your affections will either be shaped by this world or shaped by the things of God. Let me say that again. Your affections are either being shaped by the things of this world or being shaped by the things of God. And so it's a heart check moment for all of us this morning and to ask this particular question. You know what? What is it that my heart is being shaped by? Are, is it being shaped by the things of God or the things of this world? Is it being shaped by the things of flattery and selfishness and my own wants and desires and riches and fame and influencers and all of this stuff? Or is it in fear and fill in the blank for what are the things of this world? Or is it being shaped by the heart of God and his spirit, by love of God and love of others? Is it being shaped by the great commission of going to all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey my commands? Is it being shaped by the rhythm of the spirit that I may walk in step with the spirit is my heart slowly become becoming more petrified or like stone or is my heart becoming more like flesh are there areas of my life that I have allowed to be petrified and other areas where I point to and say but look how good this fleshly area is over here when I say fleshly in this context it's good not like Paul's using it right? A heart of flesh, a heart that is tender towards God. So I know some of you, as we begin talking about sin and rebellion today, you're going to be like, man, I just, you know, why does everybody guilt, guilt me? You know what? That is a wrong way to understand repentance, confession, repentance, and sin. Confession, repentance, and sin is designed to bring you to greater freedom. And it's the enemy who says, you know what, let me heap guilt on you and shame on you. God says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's a beautiful thing to confess our sins to Christ. It's a beautiful thing to experience freedom from Christ. There's a theologian, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, and she says this. If we remove sin language from our conversation, we diminish salvation language. If we remove sin language from our, from our conversation, all of a sudden we neuter the gospel. Folks, we need to ask ourselves a, some really difficult questions when we begin pursuing the heart of God, when we desire to lean in to the heart of flesh that God wants, that, that God wants to place within us. How does, how does my heart get hardened? How do you, how do I harden my heart? How does that take place? There's two areas that we're gonna focus in on that we see consistently throughout scripture. The first one is this, sin and rebellion against God. Sin and rebellion against God. And one of the areas that we don't like to think about often when it comes to this idea of sin and rebellion is the environment of sin that we place ourselves in. Now, we know that this world has a level of sinfulness that we, that we cannot escape. We interact with people. We, are of this, we, are, we live in this world, but we are not of this world. And so we recognize that. But the environment matters, just like what petrified that piece of wood was its environment. It was the water rushing over. It was the sediments that were replacing the organic material with the stone material until it looked like it should be living, but it wasn't. Church, what are the environments that you find yourself in? And if you took inventory of the environments where you find yourself, would you find yourself 
more often in environments that are breathing fresh life into you, increasing the rhythm that your heart beats towards the spirit, or are you finding yourselves in environments that are uh, washing over you and replacing that heart of flesh with a heart of stone? That are calcifying your heart, that are, that are, that are finding yourself leaning into this idea of a heart of stone. What environment do you find yourself in? Who are the people that are surrounding you? What, what does your home life look like? Now, again, I wanna pause here for a moment because I grew up in legalism. I know all about legalism. I went to church so many times during the week. I was there on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and anytime the church doors were open and you know the environment. Can I say that folks, I think we've swung the, to the other extreme. So like all of a sudden it's like, oh no, we don't wanna be legalistic, so I'm only going to church. Church average 1.4 times a month. 1.4 times a month that people will gather together. Who are the people that are, you're surrounding? What are the moments throughout your day, not even just as we gather as the body of Christ, what are the moments throughout your day where you are in God's word and spending time intentionally? You're always in God's presence, I get that, but what about the intentional times where God is shaping your heart towards him? What about those moments where you go into your prayer closet and you listen in and say, God, I need you to change my heart. I need you to shape me. I need you to, to I need you to, um, I, wanna, I wanna listen in and would you give me my marching instructions for today? What is the environment? Because the amount of time you stay in an environment will have repercussions on the shape of your heart. Some of us are spending more time in environments telling us about the news of the day and how bad this world is and all these types of things and how this person and this group and that group and all kinds of stuff than we are in the word of God being shaped by the environment that God has for us. And then, here's what we do. We become spiritual hoarders, where everything looks kinda nice on the outside, but if you open up that garage, it is packed full of junk. You find ourselves like going, hey, hey, the house, do you know, if you've ever watched that show, Hoarders, they don't want anybody walking into their home, right? Because they're embarrassed. And so what you have is you, you, we become individuals who never deal with what's on the inside, never pay attention to our heart because everything looks nice and shiny and at least decent on the outside. And we never allow people to go in to the inside. And so we never deal with sin and we never deal with rebellion. In fact, one of the easiest ways not to deal with sin is isolation. If you ever talk to somebody who is going down the road of sin, if you ever talk to somebody who's starting to operate in their own understanding rather than God's understanding, they will surround themselves with other people who are also living in sin who will tell them what they wanna hear. I've seen it a hundred times. They isolate themselves and listen in to whoever they, whoever they want to. God said, no, I have called you. I have called you to repentance. I have called you. There's a way to deal with your sin and it's beautiful and it's awesome and it's awe-inspiring because it's not a God who holds you in his angry hands. It is a God who holds you and says, let me redeem, let me restore, let me renew you. 
Now, some of you are sitting here going, I don't, I don't have any big sins. Like, if we went through the Bible and you like, like, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't done that sin or that sin or that sin. I'm doing pretty good. Another way our heart gets hardened is that we never deal with the, quote, acceptable sins in our life. Things like gossip. Seems like sins like pride. Things like my selfishness. Things like my sharp tongue. Things like my inability to control my temper or fill in the blank. And some of us grow up and we're going, hey, but that's just my personality. I'm a direct person. I can't help how they take it. And we lose a sensitivity to the spirit. And I think one of the reasons why we lose this sensitivity is specifically when it comes to what we deem as acceptable sins is that when we receive the grace of God and it's beautiful and it's awesome, we understand that Jesus loves us, right? It is awesome and it's wonderful to know and have the knowledge that we are, that we are saved and that our, our sins are forgiven and that Jesus loves us. But can I tell you something? We have to hold the love of Jesus in tension with the holiness of God. We have to hold the love of Jesus in tension with the holiness of God because that's what scripture does. It holds the love of Jesus for us in tension with the holiness of God. And Pastor Philip talked to this a couple of weeks ago when he says we have to hold in tension the love of Jesus and the fear of God. And when I'm talking about fear, I'm not talking about he's going to squash us. I'm talking about this idea that he is a holy God and when I encounter a holy God, I recognize how unholy I am. When I step into the presence of a holy God and he begins to reveal more of himself to us, I realize how far from him I actually am. And so one of the areas where this transformation begins to happen is that we store up God's word within our heart that we might not sin against him. And we find any way possible not to have to deal with our sin. Someone, a brother or sister in Christ who has our best interest in mind calls us out for it and we're like, you're messing with me, you're triggering me right now. No, 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 I'm holding you accountable. We talk about conviction and we're like, no, 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 I don't want conviction. Do you know what one of the worst places you can be? When you stop being convicted by the Holy Spirit. When you stop having a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, when you think you're just walking through life and everything is just good, I want to have a sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So that if there is, a, if there is a, uh, an area of my life that God wants to do something in, if there's an area of my life that God wants me to surrender, if there's something that God wants to do, I want a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit so that I hear his voice speaking to me about that area. I don't want any areas that I deem to be acceptable sins. We also twist God's word to try to justify it. We actually see this happening in the book of Genesis chapter three when Eve is tempted by the serpent and all of a sudden she looks at the serpent and says, God, God said that we can't eat of this fruit and that we can't even touch it. If you go back and you read previously, he never said that they couldn't touch it. He said not to eat from it. How often do we do that? We try to make God's law impossible or God's calling on our lives impossible so that it justifies what we already wanna do. 
don't twist God's words. God has called us to be his people. And this, if you are hearing this with a message of, of oh, I just, you know, they, the church just wants me to feel guilty. No, 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 you've missed it. God has not, God does not reveal sin to you so that you can feel guilt and shame. God reveals sin to you so that you can know him in greater ways and be more free in him. Your freedom is why he brings conviction. Your freedom is why he calls you to repentance. But the enemy comes along and is like, no, 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 he just wants to, he just wants to put, heap guilt on you. That's a lie of the enemy. So sin and rebellion will harden our hearts. Both sin that we know overtly and also sin that has the slow fade of acceptable sin in our life. The second area is our stubbornness and our pride. Consistently throughout scripture, sin and rebellion lead to a hardened heart. Consistently throughout scripture, stubbornness and pride lead to a hardened heart. And three manifestations that I wanna focus in on uh, when it comes to stubbornness and pride. First one is this, that we would become self-righteous. One of the areas that we can become stubborn or prideful is, hey, look how much better, I know I've got acceptable sins that I'm, still, that I'm still dealing with or I haven't dealt with, but look how worse their sin is over there. Their sin is much, much worse than what mine is. And when we start comparing and we start, when we start um, looking at ourselves and we pump ourselves up for how great we are doing and how awful somebody else is, Isaiah chapter 66, verse two says this. God's looking to those who have a humble spirit and tremble at his word. He's looking for individuals that would have a humble spirit and say, God, would you reveal to me, are there areas of my life that I haven't yet surrendered? Are there areas of my life that you're still cleaning out? Are there areas of my life that you want me to have greater surrender? And that when we don't walk in those and we hear his word, that we would tremble at his word if there's an area of our life that's not yet surrendered to him. And we know that God wants to clean, to renew us. Second manifestation of pride and stubbornness. Look what I can accomplish. Look how good I am. Look what I've done for God. Look at when I show up at church. Look when I do this. Look when I do that. Do you know what? Some, I know some of you husbands are just like me. When my wife comes home from a day at work and I've been at, at, um, at the house all day long or she'll come back, she's, she's at a funeral right now for a family member. When she comes home, guess what I'm gonna likely do? I'll meet her at the door and maybe have a, exchange a couple of words. And I'm like, guess what I got done for us this week? And I've got a list of things. I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. I did this and I'm like, give me my trophy now. Sometimes we do the same things with God. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. God, don't you see what I do for you? And we forget, apart from me, apart from God, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Or the third area, I can do it myself. I can do it myself. You ever heard a two-year-old? 
I can do it myself. I do it myself. It's cute when they're two. It ain't so cute when they're 15. Because you're like, yeah, you can, but you're going to mess it up right now because you don't know what you're doing. And it's really not cute when they're 22 or 42 or 52 or 92. And I wonder how often we look at God and God saying, hey, I have the understanding of how to live this life. I have the understanding of good and evil. I have the understanding of how to walk in my ways. I have the understanding of how to walk in step with my spirit. And we're like, no, I'll do it myself. I got you. I got you. God, it's 2023. I will tell you how to do this. I will show you how to do this. See, following God requires humility. There's not too many areas of our life where we want to admit that we don't know how to do something. Like if, you, if your boss asks you to do something, you're like, I ain't, I ain't telling them that I don't know how to do this. I'll figure it out. I'll Google it. I will figure it out. But it requires humility. There's a song that's been on repeat in my head this entire week. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. What other founts I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm thinking about that and I'm going, God, how often do I say, oh, but God, there's this fount over here. There's this thing, God, I know it's nothing but your blood that cleanses me, but I'm gonna try my best to do it myself. Sometimes it's a death by a thousand paper cuts, right? It's not one big other king in our life over and above Jesus. It's this small king and 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 this small king. And over time, we have a hardened heart towards God because we've never allowed him to be king of our lives. We've never found ourselves fully surrendered to him. And we think at times our, time, our, our way is better. At times our time, our, our way. And so there's two areas of your life that this might be manifesting itself specifically. One area is in your calling. And I'm not just talking your specific assignment or your specific calling. I'm talking about to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. I'm talking about your calling to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm talking about your calling to bear witness to the resurrected Jesus. When we... When we have a heart of stone, when we have a heart of stubbornness, when we have a heart of pride, it is impossible for us to live out the calling of God. Because people won't see Jesus in you, they'll just see you. They'll just see you. It's what we see happening in the story of Jonah. If you're not familiar with it, go read the story of Jonah. Given a calling and wants to find any way possible not to step into that calling. His heart is hardened towards what God is calling him to do. Why? Because Jonah's like, my way is better. Do you know what those Ninevites did? Do you know what those people did? 
It's like we prayed earlier in Turkey and Syria. You know how easy it is it would be for the church, the underground church in Syria and Turkey to say, do you know how they've treated us? And God's saying, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Be the hands and feet of Jesus because there's something, there's something that can happen when the heart of God is revealed for people who are far from him. about you, I hate being wrong. I hate being wrong. There's something important about me confessing before God, God, I, I was wrong. I was wrong and you were right. I tried to do it my way instead of your way. God, you've been trying to correct me in this area and I have been justifying this behavior. God, you've been trying to correct me in this area, and I have been trying to fix it myself. God, you have been correcting me in this area, and I've been trying to ignore it. I've been trying to close that door. It's like the junk drawer in your house. Just, just forget about it. Just pretend it doesn't exist, that it's not as messy as it actually is. It's the rich young ruler story. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Jesus... I've done all these things. She says, sell your possessions. Give everything you have to the poor and then come and follow me. It says he walks away sad. Correction that leads to sadness means that we have an issue with our pride and our stubbornness. Correction actually should lead to greater life because when we're corrected, that means that we're on a pathway towards death and destruction and if God saves you from death and destruction, you should be jumping for joy that he corrected you. And so here's what I've been thinking about this week. As I was in this text, as I was seeking the Lord, as I found myself in the presence of God. Church, I was reminded of the beauty and the wonder and the awe of what happens when we confess our sins to God. We repent and we draw closer to him. And part of, I think, why I was led even down this road even more is, if you're not aware, in Wilmore, Kentucky, I've been following, and some of you may have been following as well, that there was a movement of God's spirit that had broken out on Wednesday of this past week. And what's so interesting about what happened was that it was a normal chapel service at Asbury University, just a normal weekly chapel service. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came upon individuals and called them to confess and repent and all of a sudden, when they confessed and repented, it created space for the Holy Spirit to move in greater ways. See, some of us have, have stopped gaps. Some of us have put a lid on our marriages, put a lid on what God's calling us to do, put a lid on our spiritual life because we won't confess and repent and create space for more of what God wants to do. Think about this for a moment. Are you willing to allow God to actually do the deep cleaning of your life? Are you willing to allow God to actually do the deep cleansing? I'm not talking about pick up. I have this argument with my kids all the time. There's a difference between picking up the house and cleaning the house. 
And sometimes they do a pretty good job, but sometimes I have to remind them of what a clean bathroom looks like. Like when you clean the bathroom, you have to lift, lift up those little, those little caps that are on the toilet seat and you gotta wipe underneath there because there's all kinds of junk that gets underneath there. And you gotta wipe along the corners of, and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the baseboards because there's all kinds of nasty stuff that gets along there. And you actually have to wipe out the crusted toothpaste that's been in there for three weeks. See, we don't wanna, we wanna let God clean up the outside in a couple of our rooms. But if you wanna see God's movement in your life and in your family and in your marriage and in your calling, we have to be open to say, God, search my heart, oh God. Search my heart. Do a deep clean. Do a deep cleansing. There are areas of my life that I have deemed acceptable sin and I have held on those for years. God, would you do something? God, there's an area of my life. He might actually, here's the thing, he might actually change what you are watching right now. Would you allow him? He might actually change, young people, what you're listening to right now. Would you allow him? He might change the voices of influence in your life. Would you allow him? I'm not gonna sit here and say, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do this. Here's what I'm gonna say. Go before the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to go through the nooks and crannies of your life and whatever he reveals to you and says, let go of, let go of. Whatever he convicts you of, would you surrender to him? Whatever he reveals to you that is not of him, would you surrender it so he can give you more of him? That's his heart's desire. And quite honestly, when we think about this idea of revival, and this is what I was reminded of this week, when we think about this idea of revival, revival, we're not talking about people like just raising their hands and doing the dance and all this kind of stuff. We're, not talk we're talking about people on their faces confessing, God, I have sinned against you. Because when you are in the presence of God, it leads you to repentance. It's what we actually see happening in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six. This is what happens. The presence and the glory of God fill the place, right? What's his first response? It's not raised hands. It's not dancing. It's not any emotional thing. It's woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips because he has encountered a holy God and he recognizes his need for that holy God to cleanse him to deal with the sin, not only in his life, but the sin and the lives of the Israelites at that particular moment. It is so easy of us to point at the world and say, look how awful the world is. God, we need revival so you can fix the world and miss the fact that revival won't begin until we say, God, I'm drawing a circle around me. God, I confess that I've allowed acceptable sin to happen in my life. I confess, God, there's areas that I've held on to for so long. I confess, God, that there's an area of my life, there's stuff that I'm watching, there's a, there's a secret place in my house that I go to, there's a thing on my phone that I, ha that I have to look at, there's a relationship that I have on social media that is not honoring of my covenant relationship with my spouse. There is something that's going, there are things that are happening. Church, if we want to see God move in our midst, we have to repent and say, God, where is it that you want, where is it that you want to move? God, I confess that I've been a part of gossip. God, I confess that I've been a, that I've been a part of these things.
Some of you are going, ah, but I don't want to do that. Like, if I do that, then, like, what is God going to think of me? He is going to allow his grace and his mercy to restore you. How do you know that? Well, we know it because David tells us in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. So David's confessing his sin before God. He's doing it based on his understanding of God's steadfast love and what God's going to do in his life. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Psalm 51, verse 9 through 11. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Would you be willing to say that this morning? Search me, O God. Know my heart. Some of you are thinking, man, if God knew my heart, if he, if he really went into the closets, if he really went into the room, but if he really, he already does know. The only question is, are you gonna get honest with him and say, God, I need you to do some deep cleaning in this area of my life. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. For some of us this morning, that first one is what we need to cry out. Have mercy, O God, on me, according to your steadfast love. Have mercy on me. And can I tell you something? If that's you this morning, God sent Jesus Christ as one and only son as your sacrifice to forgive you of your sins. He is the picture of mercy and grace that you need to focus in on. Your sin is not greater than his grace and mercy for you. Stop living as a dead person and become fully alive in Jesus. Receive his gift of forgiveness. Receive the gift that God wants to do in your life. For others, you've been following Jesus for years. And like that sediment that transforms organic material into petrified wood or stone, you have allowed acceptable sins to begin to replace what God has placed there. It's begun to calcify it. It's made your heart hardened towards the things of God. It's desensitized you from the things of God and he's saying, would you be willing today to say, search my heart, oh God. Find anything offensive in me. Any attitude that's offensive. Any words that are offensive. Any thoughts that are offensive. My lust that's offensive. This that's offensive. This relationship that's offensive. This music that's offensive. This watch, this, these shows that I watch that are offensive. I'm not telling you what to watch, what to listen to. to. That is the Holy Spirit's role in your life. What I'm saying is, are you willing to do the dangerous work of saying, opening yourself up and say, search my heart, oh God. Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to trust that his understanding is greater than your understanding? And what you have deemed acceptable, he might actually say is offensive. Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to trust him? Forgive me, oh God. Here's where we stop short when it comes to repentance. Here's where we stop short 
when it comes to repentance. We're really good at remorse. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. The feelings of remorse, we're really good at. We're really good at the feelings of regret. I got caught, therefore I regret it. Repentance may include feelings of remorse. It may include feelings of regret. But repentance is saying, God, I have been going my way and in my understanding and I am turning and I am gonna start walking in your ways and in your understanding. I am gonna trust that you know better than I know. I'm gonna trust that your ways are better than my ways. I'm gonna trust that your direction is better than my direction. I'm gonna trust that what I put into my eyes and my ears and my life is, what I, I'm gonna trust you over me when it comes to everything that I look at. What if, what if you trusted him with that stuff and you discovered rather than feeling less alive, you felt the dry, calcified, petrified areas of you get new breath in them, come back to life, to be rejuvenated and resurrected like you never thought was possible. So the team's gonna lead us in a time of worship and here's what I would ask of you. Would you simply be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do? Would you be open and say, God, would you search my heart? Would you restore? Would you redeem? Would you reveal to me anything that is offensive so that I might be ready to receive your gift of grace and resurrection in my lives? Holy Spirit, this is your time. This is your place. This is sacred movement. God, we open ourselves up to your voice, to your movement. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Father, we thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for what you are stirring. And we thank you, God, that you are not done yet. God, we are just trusting that you are moving, that you are clearing way, that you are clearing areas of our lives to be filled with more of your presence, that we might bear witness more faithfully to your life, death, and resurrection. The world is hungry for more of you. It longs for more of you. So God, may we bear witness to your name and may we create space where your holy presence resides and manifests itself. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have a prayer team that's going to be up at the front. If you want someone to pray with you, encourage you, if you want to know more about how you can follow Jesus, they would love to speak into you and life into you and to pray over you. As you go to pray over you, as you day, may you know this, that he who has began the good work in us will be faithful to complete it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.